I like Easter Sunday. I, I used to hate I used to hate Easter. That's great for a pastor to say, isn't it? Because um, while people are worshiping Jesus all around the world right now, there are thousands of pastors who are stressed out because Easter is that one day where people show up that don't normally show up, and you think to yourself, okay, if I'm really good maybe they'll come back next week you know and, and you put all this pressure and and uh, and so i used to you know i used to think okay it's easter sunday come on you get the staff together we got to put our best foot forward everything's got to be great everything's gonna be great you know and i want to tell the people hey you, you know you need to come back because we've got great children's programs we've got youth programs we've got marriage enhancement courses we've got uh online dating now we got um you know and let's get them back somehow you know and it's like this big cheerleading thing trying to beg people to worship God and you put all the stress on yourself and it's it's interesting because I feel like I've done a total 180 to where now rather than getting up on Easter put on the big you know smiley pastor face and let's get them all here I almost have this attitude you know when Easter comes around um, like I almost get defensive for God in a sense um it's like this, okay, I, there's a, a friend of our family, and we, my wife and I, we treat her like our own daughter, and she was dating this guy, right, and, uh, and they're getting really serious pretty fast, and, you know, she's thinking, you know, possible marriage, we're thinking possible marriage, but then he starts acting a little distant, remember those days, you know, and it's like, oh, what's happening, and uh, so she goes, hey, what's going on, you seem to be treating me differently, and here's what he says, he goes, I'm struggling right now. He goes, because all my life, I envisioned myself with like a, a hot blonde surfer chick, you know, that's, you know, really fit and into fashion. And, and so in my mind, I'm just trying to decide whether I wait for my dream girl or settle for you. Those are his words. And he goes, he goes, I'm not saying I don't want this relationship. I just need some time. So she's telling me this, okay, and and my heart just pounded like, are you kidding me? He said that. I mean, what if that were your daughter? What advice would you give her? Would you say, you know, just give him some time, honey? You know, <laughs> you, 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 these you, these things take time. No, how many would say dump him? Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's what I told her. I go, look, you, you don't want anyone settling for you. You want someone who's crazy about you that would give everything up for you. That's what you deserve. And she goes, well, you know, I, I go, well, what did you say to him? Don't you tell me you said you'd give him time. And she, she goes, she goes, no, I told him, you know what? Let me make the decision easier for you. Bye bye. You know, and. <laughs> You know, and, and it is because, and, and you know, the defensiveness you feel of don't let someone treat you like that. You're better than that. See, that's what I feel about God sometimes. Okay, that's what I feel about Easter. And that's why sometimes I get bugged, you know, like people trying to beg you, you know. Okay, well, if you come, we'll give you this also and this also and this also. And you know what? God might even make you rich. And he might do this and he might do that. And come on, please, please, please. And it's, you know what? If you're going to come... Come for God. God is enough, okay? It's not God and a free set of steak knives. It's not God and you can have this, this, this. I mean, my message on Easter is if you've got better things to do on a Sunday, go do them. Okay? God's not in heaven going, oh, I really need you here. Okay? And, and I'm sorry if I come across with a little bit of an attitude with that, but I'm just, I, I, I get 
bothered now at the way I used to be, at the way I see church a lot, where it seems like we're begging and begging and begging because Jesus didn't do that. In fact, Jesus says to those who are here and go, man, I don't know if I want God yet. Maybe when I'm older, you know, or, or not right now because I always envision my life going this direction. If I have to give that stuff up for God, then I don't know. Jesus says, you know what, let me make the decision easier for you. Never mind. I mean, Jesus, look at what he says in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10, verse 37, 38. He says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. See, some of you hate that verse. I love it. I love it because it represents a God who knows what he's all about. A God who says, you know what? I'm worth it. I, I am absolutely worth it. You don't think I'm worth it? It doesn't matter. Go, go, go away. I don't, I don't need you. I'm cool. I'm cool. I wasn't, I wasn't like up in heaven insecure until you were born. and go, oh, good. Good. Someone who understands me. No, he, he's, not, he's not like that. This God says, you know what? I'm actually a great God. I am a great God. And I am better than anything you'll find on that earth. And so if you think other things are better than me, go, go pursue them. But I'm not sitting here begging. I'm not sitting here insecure. He goes, in fact, if you think those things are better, you are not worthy of following me. Okay. It's not about me being good enough that you might, you know, squeeze in a few you know, minutes of your week for me. He goes, no, you're not worthy of me because I'm a great God. I love that. He says that I love that's my God. That's my God, a powerful God that says, you know what? I'm a great God. And you should want me. I shouldn't be begging. You should be begging. Because I'm a great, great God. And I love that. I love that about him. You know, and, and uh, the other thing, too, that, that uh, keeps me from stressing out. Because I used to think, oh, man, I've got to get people to fall in love with God. I got to. Because you guys know we live here in Southern California. We live here in America. There is not a whole lot of respect for God. You know, and there's a lot of judging of God, questioning of God, doubting of God. And sometimes I feel like it's my responsibility. I got to get people to respect God again. I got to get them to see how great he is, how holy he is, how wonderful he is. But I, I was reading this verse this week that helped me out a lot. It's Psalm 46, verse 10, where God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God says, you know what? Just calm down. He goes, just be still and know that I'm God. And then he says two words, two very powerful words. I will. I will. I love the fact that there's a God in heaven who says, I will. In other words, I say this is going to happen. It's going to happen. He says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That means... That regardless of whether you worship him or I worship him, he will be worshipped. And he will get people on the earth to exalt him and lift him up. That's going to happen. The verse does not say, and know that I am God, I will be exalted unless Francis screws it up. <laughs> it's not up to me. You know, it's, it's like I can't ruin this. I love the fact that God determines what's going to happen and I can't screw that up. And so why do we put this pressure on ourselves? Like, I got to get this person to fall in love with God. I got to get this person. Or I got to get people serious about God. God says, I'll do it. I, I have ways of getting people's attention and I will be exalted on this earth. 
I love that. I love that. In, uh, in the Old Testament, there was a time when the people were just really casual about their worship of God. And they would give them like these crummy offerings. You know, God said, man, I want the best. I want you to give me the best because I deserve the best. I want the unblemished lamb. And they would bring these like three-legged, one-eyed sheep, you know. And here, God, you know, look, I brought you something. And they thought that God was pleased with them. And God goes, don't bring that into my sanctuary. And he says in Malachi 1, he goes, I, just shut the gates to that place. If that's what you're going to bring me, I don't want it. And then he says in the next verse, in Malachi 1, verse 11, he goes, you know why? Because my name will be great. (laughs) Once again, my name will be great among the nations. From the rising to the setting of the sun, in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name. Because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. He says, you're going to bring me this little crummy offering? He goes, don't bother. I'm a great God. I deserve better than that. And guess what? If you don't worship me, other people will. He goes, in fact, my name will be great among all the nations. You know, you know, there's people overseas right now that are just screaming their heads off for God. They're they're just worship. They've given their whole lives. There are people right now that are dying for what they believe about Jesus Christ. And God says, you know what? If you don't want to, don't bother. You don't think I'm good enough. I'm not worth your time. Go do whatever you need to do because I'm a great God. And I deserve to be praised and I will be praised. See, Easter is a time when we celebrate those two words, I will. I really believe this. It's a time when we should celebrate a God who says, I will. Like he says in John chapter 2, verse 19. In John 2, 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Okay, and John describes that he was talking about his body. But have you ever focused on this verse man i love this verse i was just meditating on it all week i mean think about what that means picture jesus walking on the earth think about just the man i don't even know the right word for it. just the confidence of a man who walks around goes go ahead kill me i'll just rise again in three days Wow, that's bad. You know, that's like, wow, go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, just to walk around with no fear whatsoever. Just to walk around with no fear and just to say, what are you going to do? Go ahead, destroy this temple. I'll raise it again in three days because you don't have control over me. There's nothing you can do to hurt me. I am God. Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. I love that. I love the thought of being associated with that kind of power. Just to think I walk side by side with Jesus. I have Jesus in my life. I have a God that is willing to say, go ahead, destroy this temple, nail it to a cross, and I'll raise it again in three days. Because I am, I am, and I will. Daniel 4 verse 35 has been one of my favorite verses for years. Because he says, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? See what he's saying? He goes, all, wait, all the people are regarded as nothing? Wait, what if we, what if we all gather together? What if we really lived as one? Okay, everyone on the earth bound together and said, you know what, God, we think you're not allowed to judge us. 
God is going to look at us and go, I don't care what you think. He goes, man, all you can put all the people together. You see, some of you hate this because you're so used to flaunting your opinion. Right. And you think your opinion is so good. And, uh, you know, just ask the people around you if uh, if you act that way. You, you have this opinion like I'm going to say what I believe. And you're so sure that you're right. And then you have this God. You hate the thought that there could be a being who is more powerful than you. That says, I don't care what you think. In fact, you can gather all the people in the world together that I made. And they could all disagree with me. And I could look them all in the eye and say, well, then you're all wrong. See, that's one of the benefits to being God. And the creator, he goes, you know what? I don't care. You can gather. I love this. See, some people hate this. They hate this thought. There's this God or this power that is over them. But I love it. See, I look at the thought of this being and I love it because because I'm on his side, you know, primarily. And, and, And also it's just this thought of this God who says, I will. I can't say that. I can't say I will anything. I can say I might. I'll try. In fact, okay, I totally screwed up one time. Okay, just one time. And um, <laughs> I was in uh, I was in Park City, Utah, and uh, and they have those. Uh, they have a big bear too. You ever been on those things in the summertime where you sit on these little plastic cars with wheels and you go flying down this like sled track this this concrete sled track and it's really cool a bunch of people go down at once and you're just flying through and i was there with the kids and uh and i really wanted to go on it so i and i didn't want people to know i wanted to go on it and go by myself so i had to pretend you know one of my kids wanted to go and go with her and i and so i talked my oldest into going with me because she didn't want to go but i'm like dad doesn't want to go alone it just looks dumb okay i gotta pretend you want it you know and i i finally just look at her i go honey you can't get hurt on this you know they build it so that 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 you you can't fly off the track or whatever else you know because if you did then you could sue them or whatever else and it just wouldn't be good i go just trust me i promise you we will not get hurt and i knew when i said that it didn't feel right (laughs) you know how when you say something i don't have a right to promise but i was so sure you know so we get up to the top of this run i put my daughter in front of me and it's a blast you know you just jump on this thing you know and and you know and you control the brakes with your hands you got these little levers that slow you down and it's great and then this girl goes flying by us on the track next to us and i felt like she was challenging me (laughs) you know (laughs) She didn't say anything. I could just tell, you know. And uh, no, I just, I just couldn't handle it. I'm thinking, well, she goes that fast. I can go faster, you know. And uh, and so I just let go of the brake. Let's go, you know. Let's go, honey. We take this turn and we go flying off of the track and land on the concrete and just roll and tumble on the concrete. Now I didn't get hurt. <laughs> my daughter gets up she's just screaming she's got this big bump on her head and blood's coming down and she you know her legs and everything else and i'm going, oh 
man. And she's just crying hysterically. And then I'm thinking, now I got to get her back on the sled to make it the rest of the way down. Can you imagine that? And now what do you say? Um, I really promise this time. But I I just remember that day was just awful, you know, because and, and honestly, honestly, it's weird. But that was like a after that. I couldn't get her to go on rides and stuff with me because it was like, man, up until that point, I really hadn't promised her anything that I didn't come through on. And it was weird because I remember that day right when I said it, I thought, I don't really have the right to promise anything, but I'm going to do it anyways because I really want to go on this ride. And in my mind, I really thought there was no way we could come off the track. I mean, haven't you ever done that where you promise something because in your mind you were so sure you're going to pull it off? I mean, your intentions were good and everything else. And you really thought, no, I will never do that again. I just won't do that again. And then over time, suddenly you find yourself back doing that thing again. And and at the time when you made the vow, you could have sworn you were sincere and you would have sworn that you wouldn't you wouldn't fail. You would have bet money on it. But then you failed. See why? Because we're not allowed to say I will. I I can't say that. All I can do this morning is say, you know what? I I think I'm going to get through this message alive. I think I'm going to go home, have a little Easter dinner, and then come back for a couple more services. I think I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning. I might. Lord willing. See, but but the thoughts, see, see, I hate, I I wouldn't want to be alone here on the earth. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't want to have the insecurity of I'm the only one that's in charge. And so if I screw it up, I I really screw it up. I love the fact that there's a being in heaven right now who says, I will, I will be exalted among the nations and you can be on my team. And I don't fail. When I said I would wipe mankind out off the earth with a flood, I did it. I pulled it off. When I said destroy this temple and I'll raise it again, I did. And the the truth is, the question is, is do you think, do you want to be associated with a God like that? Do you want to be under his protection and be one of his children? With the God who says, I will. If you're sitting here going, I don't know, I don't know. He just says, don't bother. I'm a great God. I'm good. I love the way Paul convinced people to follow Jesus. It's pretty interesting because it's very different than what we do in American churches. In Acts chapter 17, he's speaking to a group of people in Athens, Greece, who didn't believe in God. And this is what he says to them. And he's talking about Jesus. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. See, Paul says, first thing, see, I was always taught, okay, when you're trying to talk people into believing in Jesus, start off with them and what they would want and tell them, you know what, God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. Paul didn't start that way. Paul goes, let me make something clear to you. God doesn't need you. Okay? He doesn't need you to serve him. He's not served by human hands. He doesn't need you to build him a temple. Okay, I want you to get that through your mind today. That that God in heaven doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He was okay. See, 45 years ago, 50 years ago, 80 years ago, before you were born, 
Was God okay? Was he so looking forward to your birth because he needed some help? No, he was okay, wasn't he? 100 years ago, 200 years ago, he was fine. And what he says, he goes, man, understand that he doesn't need anything. He's the one that gave you life. But he goes on, he says, while this God really doesn't need you, he does want you. Pretty amazing truth. Why would God even want me? He's God. That's a good news. It's a good news that there is this God who will do anything he wants. And he wants you. In the next verse, he says this. He says, from one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. See, the Bible says that God made the earth, he made the people, but then not only that, but he determined the times set for them. That means you could have been born in the 1600s. God could have put your soul on the earth at that time, but he didn't. He said, no, I I want him alive at this point. I want her alive here. And not only that, but it says he determines where you would live. Do you know that it's not coincidence that you're in this room, Easter 2008? But through this whole series of events, God put you here. And he says he puts you in different places at different times. For what reason? He says that you might reach out and seek him and find him because he's not far from you. And he says, there'll be times in your life that I've ordained and I'll put you in a place where you can actually find me. And perhaps you'll actually take me up on that. See, that's the question is, are you one who wants God? You can blame all you want and say, well, you know, but my parents were hypocrites. My pastor was a hypocrite. Church is full of hypocrites. This happened to me when I was a kid, blah, 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 blah. You know? And God's going to say, no, you know what? I gave you opportunity to seek me if you wanted me. Did you take those opportunities and did you pursue him? See, I know when I I read a passage like this and I talk about how God reveals himself to people, immediately the question comes up, well, what about people on deserted islands? Right? What about the people on lost you know, the others, you know, they were just there, you know, or whatever it may be. What about this person out there, that person out there? And let me just say two things about those people that we're so worried about. Um, number one, God is fair and he reveals himself to people. And he says in Romans 1.20 that ever since he created the world, he says his, his, his invisible qualities and his divine nature could be clearly seen through what has been made so that men are without excuse. God says, you know what? Those people on the island, they can look around and see that there's a God. And if they sought me with all their heart, they could find me. Because hey, I made it so that I'm not far from anyone. They can find me. There's a way. I'll provide a way. Anyone that wants to find me and seeks me with all their heart will find me. But the second thing I want to say is so often when we're confronted with this truth that we need to make a decision, we quickly want to divert it to someone else. 
and we want to take the focus off of ourselves. We want to, you know, let's not talk about me and, the, and what I'm accountable for and what I heard. Let's talk about that guy on the island, whoever he is. And I'm saying, can you, can you just not take the focus off of yourself for a second? Because at the very end, God's going to look at you and say, well, I told you this. I gave you opportunity to seek after me. You just didn't take it. You're going to be judged for how he dealt with you. And you got to just trust God's fair. God's fair. He's a just God. But in this passage, he also explains that judgment is coming. In verse 31 of, of Acts 17, he says this. He says, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof to this of this to all men by raising him from the dead. See what God says here? He goes, he goes, not only did I appoint this time for you to hear the message, he goes, but I've also appointed a day in which I will judge you. I will. God is saying, I will. Remember when he says, I will, it happens. I will judge you on that day based upon what you heard and whether you accepted or rejected it, whether you reached out for me or not. And you're not on that day going to be able to divert and go, well, you know what? I was thinking about those guys on the island. God says, no, I gave you this truth. What did you do with the truth? I'm not... um... But you know, I'm not, I'm not here trying to judge anyone. Um, that's just not my job. But my job is to tell you that judgment is coming. Um, and I, I know when I say that, I sound so much like these guys, you know, with loudspeakers on the corner. Judgment is coming. But, you, you know, I don't know how else to say it. So far, God has been 100% accurate with his predictions of what he said he would do. It happens. And he says, you know, whether you believe it or not doesn't change whether or not it's going to happen. He says, I will judge you based upon what you've heard and what you've done. In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 4, he says, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and he will expose the motives of men's hearts at that time each will receive his praise from god see god says there's going to come a day okay because here's the truth you don't know everything about me some of you i've been your pastor for years you don't know all the things that i've done you don't know the thoughts that have gone through this mind in the same way i don't know your life and there's this truth that you know what Just because a guy stands on a platform doesn't mean that he really is what he says he is. I'm not saying I'm fake up here. I'm just saying, you know what? There are things in my life that I've done that I'm ashamed of. And God says, you know what? There's going to come a day when I'm going to bring to light whatever you hid. And it's like, well, let's just be open then. Let's just be honest. Because there's going to come a day when it's all going to be revealed. And he goes, and I'm going to expose the motive of men's hearts. Have you guys ever watched that TV game show, The Moment of Truth? Isn't that the worst? And every time you see it, don't you think, I would hate to be on that show. I mean, how would you like it if I had a lie detector up here and I could just ask you any question? 
See, for those who haven't seen the show, I've never actually seen the show. I just saw a clip. Someone sent me a, a YouTube clip of this one and it blew my mind because here's the gist of the show. Okay. You're hooked up to a lie detector and you're asked all of these questions. Now, if you answer them truthfully, you make money. Seems easy, right? The problem is they ask you the most embarrassing questions in the world. And if you answer them truthfully, you get more money, more money, more money. The moment you lie, you lose everything. And I was watching this clip of this lady, and many of you saw it, who she confessed to having stolen money. She confessed that before her husband, who was sitting there, that she'd rather be married to her ex-boyfriend who was there asking the question. I mean, she's, and, and her family's there, her dad's there, you know, not to mention millions of people watching. And then they ask her, have you ever cheated on your husband? And that's where I want to show you the scene. Here's her answer and then the following question too. So just watch the screen. Is that intense? $200,000 gone. Because she would not admit that she doesn't really believe that she's a good person. Man, when I first saw that, and the way that announcer said to her, you know deep down inside you're not a good person. And somehow deep inside of you know the truth. And it doesn't matter that you keep telling yourself, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. It doesn't matter that your dad going, it's true, it's true, it's true. It doesn't matter. The absolute truth is false. You know in your heart you're not good. And I think a lot of times we walk around because we've been told all our lives, no, you're a good person, you're a good person, you're a good person. We're all good people. But when you're alone, you know the things that you've done. And you have a choice to either suppress that and pretend that you're good. But the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, he says, you can, you can, you can claim today. You can say, man, I'm a good person. I, you know, I haven't done that many bad things and I've made up for it for all the good things. Yeah, no, I really believe I'm good. I'm really, really good. I've been told all my life that I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. He says, if you do that, you're deceiving yourself. The truth isn't in you. He goes, but if you would just confess, if you could do what that girl couldn't do and just say, okay, I know, okay, I've screwed up. I've done this, this, this. And to come before God, you don't have to come before me or it's before the Lord to say, Lord, okay, I know I've done things that you've hated. And he says, if you will confess your sins, he says, man, God's faithful. When he promises something, he'll do it. And he's fair and he will forgive you see that was the whole point of the cross god says i'm going to have my son die on that cross and he will pay for your sins and if you can believe if you can believe 
If you can confess with your mouth and say, you know what, I do believe that was the Son of God dying on that cross for my sins. I do believe He rose from the grave. I believe that with my heart. The Bible says, then you can be saved. You will be saved. You will be forgiven. And I know this is one of those God will things that that many of you in this room don't believe. And it's hard to believe because you think, well, you're kidding me. So after I did this, 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 and you go ahead, go home today and write down all the horrible things you've done in your lifetime. And, and it is pretty crazy to believe that you could just with one moment come before God and say, God, I confess to you. Okay, I did all of that. But I believe Jesus paid for it on the cross. And he rose from the grave and he's coming back to judge. Man, I believe that. And to believe that all of those sins would just be forgiven just like that. See, and some of you are going, man, you don't get it. If you read my list, you would say, I don't deserve forgiveness. That I better make up for it somehow. In fact, if you wrote out your list of sins, I bet you the majority of the world would look and go, well, you deserve some sort of punishment. You can't just be forgiven just like that after doing all of those things. Well, guess what? It doesn't matter if the whole world says you should not be forgiven because the only thing that matters is God's opinion. Right? And God says, I will forgive you. And I'll clean you of any unrighteousness. It's not like you'll still be a little bit dirty. No, I'll wash you completely because of what my son did on the cross. I will forgive. That's why I say, man, it's good to have a God who says, I will. I will judge. I will forgive. Then finally in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he says this. Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off for all whom the lord our god will call he says you know what today if you turn from that old arrogant lifestyle of i'm a good person and that self-righteous attitude i've done a lot of good things Because if you'll repent, repent means to turn from that. And you get baptized. It's it's not the actual act that saves you. It's just this whole idea. It's you're, you're being baptized for the forgiveness of sins. You're saying, you know what? I know that I've been forgiven by Jesus Christ. That act of baptism was saying, you know, I'm going to die to who I was. This arrogant, think a self-righteous person. I'm dying to that. I know I'm not good. I'm going to rise again. And the Bible says that God will put His Spirit inside of you to enable you to live the life that He wants. And once again, He promised that. He says, this promise is for you. He was saying this 2,000 years ago. And it's for your children and for those who are far off. Those who will hear this message in the year 2008. Pretty crazy when He's talking in, you know, whatever, 35 B.C. or A.D. You know, to say, you know what? 2008 people will hear this. And my promise is good. I'll put my spirit in them. And I'm telling you, there's a side that wants me to beg and a side that thinks, you know what, that cheapens God. If you want him, you go after him. You pursue him. You get baptized and be proud to follow him. He's the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life. There's nothing that matters to me like God. And we're going to have a time of... uh, We're going to have a time of worship right now. We're just going to sing one more song.
One last song before we leave. And during this time, if you heard the message and you go, you know what? I think I was put in this room for a reason and I am supposed to follow God and I want God. I want Him. I want Him more than anything. And you want today to be baptized in front of all of us, even though you weren't planning on it. And you say, you know what? It's worth getting my car wet, my clothes wet, because I want God. He's worth it then you can get baptized. I'll be standing up here by the prayer room with some of the other pastors and elders. If you need some prayer or whatever, we'll be up there. And just let me make clear that if you follow Jesus, there's no guarantee that it's going to help your marriage, your job, your financial situation. It may make it worse. There's no guarantee of your health, you know. But here's what you do get if you follow Jesus. Jesus, and he's worth it.